October the 9th, 2016, lecture discussion uh, number 256, I hope, on the book of Romans. Well, if you've been attending somewhat regularly, and admittedly somewhat regularly is considered perfect attendance here at Glipside, but if you're in that category, then you know that uh, we've been allegorically launching reconnaissance missions uh, with Revelation 17 as the home base, sending out little platoons of happy warriors from that uh, base of operations. And uh, we'll avoid discussions of the success of my plan to this point for the usual obvious reasons, which is high casualty rate. Some accuse the fearless leader, the beloved teacher, of uh, intentionally uh, allowing losses Accepting a high loss percentage, some say that. I get that a little bit. Some is a relative term. Some would describe most as some, as you know. I'm going to cling to some and most and likely being relative terms, and that gives me plausible deniability. If any of that made sense to you, seek immediate remedy. You can go to the Internet. Doctors on the Internet, what could go wrong? Huh? You could go. Everybody tells me I make fun of the Internet, and I am on the Internet. Not everybody. The irony abounds. Okay. If I had to choose, and this is where we are, we're in Revelation 17. If I had to choose pieces of Revelation 17 to elevate over other pieces, I would pick Revelation 17.8. <sighs> Revelation 17.11 and Revelation 17.17. Those would be the three that I would say um, need to be looked at the most carefully. I also find the cup of filth to be of great interest, as well as the marveling with great amazement of John the Apostle. John the Apostle marvels with great amazement. That's always got my attention I think I have come to a conclusion that I believe is reasonably accurate. But um, um, as much as that is fascinating to me, I think Revelation 17.8 is absolutely incredible. Um, Bill presented a position on Revelation 17.8 in the pregame here. Uh, And so we did not discuss it. We don't talk to each other. We just go in our own opposite directions and sometimes we're the same. It's fantastic. Revelation 17.8, that is the beast that you saw was. Beast that you saw was. The beast, let me me do it this way. The beast that you saw was and the beast that you saw is not. Notice how I'm doing this. I'm adding the beast that you saw every time. And the beast that you saw will ascend. So, John is being told this by one of the angels of the seven bowls. And the beast that you saw will ascend out of the bottomless pit or out of the abyss. Out of his own place. And the beast that you saw will go to perdition. So...
Obviously, I interjected and repeated the phrase, the beast that you saw, in order to emphasize the beast that John was shown was, is not, will ascend, and go. He has five phases. That's four of them. The other one is, yet is. It's in a different verse, but it's there. There's five phases of the beast or the Antichrist. The beast was, the beast is not, the beast yet is, the beast will ascend from the pit or the abyss or the bottomless pit, uh, and the beast will go to perdition. So there's five things that the beast is described as being in, and five phases, if you will. Was, is not, will ascend, go, and yet is. That causes the obvious when, why questions, because I hope you can see uh, the, the first one is a when question. When was the beast from John's frame of reference? John is told the beast was. So that means the beast predates John. So when was the beast from John's frame of reference? When is not the beast from John's frame of observation, from his perspective? Exactly when does the scarlet beast now ascend? So let me put it a different way. The beast, John knew that the beast was in the past. He knew the beast, the beast is not now when he's talking to the angel. He knows the beast got into the pit or the bottomless abyss. And he knows the pit, that the beast, or he's being told the beast is going to come out of there. And then the beast will go into perdition. And yet the beast is. <coughs> Excuse me. I am not a Philadelphia Phillies fan. I just got a box of cool stuff again, and I wanted to... Uh, it's not that I don't like the Philadelphia Phillies. I used to. Pete Rose played for them once, and I like Pete Rose because he was kind of a big bone guy. Okay, heavy set, thick, and uh, hit pretty good. Lousy gambler. That's another story. Anyway, when I was a kid, Pete Rose was Ernie Banks. Those were my guys. I just wanted to let uh, folks that sent us the, the, the package know that uh, I, I got it. So where was I? When does the scarlet beast descend exactly? When does the Antichrist go to perdition exactly? What time? This is time uh, based, if you will. There's time all over this. Why does this happen? If we continue in Revelation 17:8, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So there's this marveling that is described. There's, again, the beast that was and is not and yet is. And the book of life is involved. The marveling of the beast by those who inhabit and dwell the earth affects their position in the book of life. Back at Revelation 17.7, the angel rebukes the apostle John. He says, why did you marvel? The implication, at least in my opinion, that John should not have marveled. He should not have looked upon the beast and the woman who's on top of the beast with wonderment and amazement. And I touched on this uh, only briefly, I think, last week. For believers in Christ, being amazed, being astonished by the Antichrist, 
or the ecclesiastical Babylon is evidence of imprudence. I'll say it even stronger. It's disrespectful. If you're amazed by the Antichrist, you're in wonder of him. Uh, you are being disrespectful to God. What I mean by that is we're called to be wise. Matthew 10:16. Christians are supposed to be identified by certain characteristics. Wisdom is one of them. God-given wisdom, theological, doctrinal wisdom, certainly, but also discernment with respect to lies. It should be really difficult to deceive a Christian. How's that going? The church should be full of very wise people that are not easily fooled. What do we got? So we should have discernment with respect to deception, whether that's from the world, mankind, or from supernatural principalities. The world, again, should look upon the true church and see an impenetrable fortress, no possibility of successfully deceiving those within. The con men don't go to churches to get money. That's what we should see. As you know, this is not the condition of the contemporary church. The church today is a steaming mess. A pile of it. Filled with suckers. We are filled with suckers. Uh, who embrace every scam and con man that arises. Every cunningly devised fable. Every destructive heresy. All the great swelling words of emptiness seem to meet no resistance in the church today. Second Peter 2. The Christians flock to the carnival barkers and the Vegas magicians and they are thus mowed down with hardly any effort. We are dumb sheep. Bill likes to talk, Bill the fast. Mucus in the front, dingleberries in the back. That's us. But we are called to be wise. Take some solace in being a dumb sheep. We're all there. We all go ba-ba and we run to the, to the cliffside. How about that? Or we just go right over and crash and burn over and over again. It should not be that way. It is like mourning for the dead. Remember Lazarus and the professional mourners. Christians should have an understanding of death. And they shouldn't have this overwhelming despair. There is a great despair. I was talking to Cindy about it. Uh, in the hallway earlier. There's a despair because we're left behind, in a sense. There's a separation. But there should be in Christians an understanding of death. And we should not panic over it as if we're going to cease to exist. That's a nice shirt you have, Ken. Where did you get that color? Wow. You have a pocket on yours. I, I... You have two pockets. One of my pockets was put on his shirt. That's what happened. I want my pocket back. Absolutely, I do. (laughs) Obviously, Lori's gone again. Gosh, we're having shirts this time, just to prove we can. I don't wear this shirt because as soon as I take it off, she says, that one has no pocket. Well, she wasn't there today to tell me that. So here we go. Where am I now? I know. The church is a mess. 
But so was Israel. So is Israel. So take some, some, uh, uh, I don't know, feel better. But we should not be destroyed at funerals. We should understand death. We should be able to articulate what has happened. We should be able to give peace. And we should be able to cry with those who are lonely. The difference between loneliness and despair over cessation of existence, which is pretty much the case nowadays. I had a call from a gentleman in New Jersey who wanted to sell me a warranty on a car that Anna used to own. So I took, this is an opportunity for me. So I said, you're from New Jersey. He said, yes. And I asked him, I said, do you believe you will cease to exist when you die? And he immediately went, I did not expect that question. I'm trying to sell you a warranty for a car you don't own. And I said, well, naturally. So the question is, is, do you believe you will cease to exist when you die? And he said, I hope not. Well, what do you believe? I think I believe I will. So off we went into this lengthy discussion of substance dualism and particle wave dualism and all of that, which you know I do. And at the end of it, he did not sell me a warranty. And I had something to do for 45 minutes. So it worked out for both of us, kind of. Anyway. Both us and Israel will chase the shiny object. And I think it is very disrespectful to God when we do that. And I submit that John the Apostle fell to this inherent inclination here at 17.6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the mystery of the beast that carries her. You didn't need to marvel, John. Marveling at the beast is a problem. You end up not being in the book of life. There's a relationship. Those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life. If you're impressed with the Antichrist maneuvering or his capabilities or you're impressed with Satan's uh, lies and deceptions, then uh, you're in not a good place. So, and by the way, got all this way. There it went. There went your Kentucky Fried Chicken. And we have Kentucky Fried Chicken today. You get none of it because of my mistake. <laughs> oh, oh, that's how I, I'm sorry, I might have had that reversed. It may be that I get none. Doubtful. <laughs> okay. But I support the premise that this is a rebuke. I offer Revelation 13.3 and Revelation 17.8 and 9. Those who marvel at the great whore sitting on the scarlet beast ultimately will worship the red dragon and the scarlet beast. They knowingly, willfully, deliberately accept the mark of the beast, Revelation 13:16. And as the result of that, they are not written, their names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, Revelation 13:8, Revelation 17:8. So John would not have marveled. He did, but I'm sure he put it in his book because it is a 
failure on his part. And men of God have a tendency to do that. See Jonah. When these people who dwell on the earth at this time see... Notice I said the word time again. Let's put that on there. Because that's the theme of the sermon today, or the lecture. Time. When these people who are on the earth at this time marvel at what the beast and what the dragon do, when they choose, therefore, they choose the beast who was, is not, and yet is, who will ascend out of his own place and will go to perdition, when they do that, they become judged, condemned to outer darkness. It's almost like closing the door of the ark. They can't be saved. That mark of the beast is a serious thing. There won't be anybody who accidentally gets a mark of the beast. These are a especially defined group of all those who will be lost. Of all those who will be lost, these are drawn out here in Revelation and identified. They're going to dwell on the earth again at this time. They know and they see the dragon. They see the Antichrist. They choose the Antichrist. They worship Satan. And they worship the Antichrist. They marvel. They follow. And they mark themselves. And they're not in the book of life. And, and all the while, they also know that Christ is coming. I submit, and I addressed it last week, I hope I did it well enough, but let me repeat it just in case. They, these people will know who Christ is. They will know who Satan is. They will know who the Antichrist is. They'll know how it all works. There will be no accidental marking of the beast. Let me repeat that. No ignorant people. This is a willful decision. They will know that Christ is coming, and they will know when, what time he's coming. The second coming, the return of Christ, is a known known. The rapture is not a known. But the return is. Everyone will know. They have a book that tells you exactly when he's going to come. They can get it down to the minute. They're going to know. And to know Christ is to know that he's God. And to, and to know why he is returning, would, if you know when he's returning, you're going to know why he's returning. And so these folks that are on the side of the beast, who have chosen the beast, they're certain the beast is going to prevail. What's the implication of that? I am convinced, if I were one of these people, I have my mark and I'm marveling and I'm in amazement, and I am convinced that the beast is going to prevail in this confrontation between him and Christ. What am I thinking the beast is capable of? They that dwell on the earth who worship the dragon and the beast are completely absent of any doubt as to the certain victory of Satan over God. How do you get to that place? I called it, I've called it many times mass insanity. And Satan and Antichrist ensnare the stupid. They target the stupid. You, to fall for this, you have to be in a particularly peculiar place. And the resulting shock when Christ does not fall to the Antichrist, when Christ destroys the Antichrist, the result, when Christ is able to say to Satan, be gone, he does it in Scripture in Matthew 4, when he, when he can send Satan away with his voice, 
See, Satan knows that, doesn't he? It's happened to him before. Satan has been in a position by Christ directly and Christ away. Poof, Satan's away. How far away did he go, I always ask. How long did it take him to get back? He, he knows that Christ can say away and there's nothing Satan can do to stop him. So Satan is not fooled by his own lie. How did the how did the beast get into the abyss? How, yeah, how did he get there? Does he have a a little elevator? Is that how, a ladder? He's got a ladder. How? So you have to. Bill answered the question. Now you you didn't hear him, and I don't want you on the internet or the rest of you to know. They, what Bill got it right. Yay, Bill! But he said it quiet enough that nobody heard. Perfect. That's a perfect answer in this place. You have to decide how this beast got into the abyss. And when he got there. Let me ask another question. How old was he when he got there? How did he get out? We have that. We know how he got out. And we know when, he, when in the tribulation he will get out. So you decide that while I move along. My point is, is that Satan knows and the Antichrist also likewise knows that Christ is omnipotent. They've had it proven to them. They also know he's omniscient. So while they're getting together discussing their plan, they know Christ is omniscient. Christ slays the Antichrist instantly. The suddenness of this is ridiculous. And the billions of people who are following the Antichrist, who are convinced that he will prevail, who marvel after him, who look at him with wonder and amazement, uh, are stunned, absolutely shocked. The greatest shock of all of human history will be for these people. This is not going to be a fight. It was never a fight. Do not marvel at Satan. Do not be amazed at the Antichrist. Do not fear those who kill the physical body but cannot kill the soul, right? That's why he says that to us. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord is what is said by Moses to the nation of Israel who when they are up against the Red Sea, they're being chased by the Pharaoh, right? They are convinced the fair RO is going to catch them and kill them all, and they're in complete total panic. How does that sound? And Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, Exodus 14, 13. Stand still does not give the correct implications of what he said. That's a nice way of saying what he said. What he said was, shut up. Shut up and watch what God does. This is a very similar, similar situation of the final battle of Armageddon. When Christ now has come, there's an eight-stage battle. We have to deal with that as, as the weeks go on. Christ is there. We're going to be going through the battles of Jerusalem. They're fascinating up to this point, and they become more and more interesting when you know the history and you also know the battle of Armageddon, or the eight phases of Armageddon. So the point of it is, is that these folks are gathered there believing that they're going to do something. What do they think they're going to do? All of them. They think they're going to kill Christ and those with him. This is a war. 
They believe they're going to win. That's an astonishing perspective. How did they get to that perspective? What got them there? How was it that Satan and the Antichrist was able to do this to them? Point is, is don't fear Christ. Fear him. Fear the salvation of the Lord. Be in wonder, astonishment at Christ. He is the one, he is the only one who is able to send both body and soul into the place of destruction. Luke 12, 5. Matthew 10, 28. Okay? Now, here is the mind which has wisdom. That's where we are today. The mind that is wise is described by the angel that, te- that shows uh, John. And I have a feeling that John took that personally. It is meant generally, but the angel, John is marveling at the Antichrist, and the angel goes, why are you marveling? Here's the mind that has wisdom. I think the inference is obvious, and I'm sure John took it personally. Why do you marvel? Here's the mind that has wisdom. John... We try a little wisdom now. The mind that is wise does not look with amazement at the dragon who is a mere tiny created being. The mind that understands Revelation 17, 9 through 18 is the mind with wisdom. So let's go ahead and read that. Here we go again. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So this is your wisdom test. Your status report, if you will. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Here we go again. All of this has this time uh, immersed in it. I think you'll keep seeing that. I hope you do. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb. Why are they making war with the lamb? You have to answer that. And the lamb will overcome them. Right there, I wish your Bible had, duh, Who makes war with God thinking he can win? Who does that? Who thinks like this? How do they get there? They marvel at the Antichrist. They're fools. Get to that in a minute. For he is Lord of Lords. Here, the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and Kings of and King of Kings. So that's why he overcomes them. That's the reason he's able to overcome them, because he is Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. That's how come they get overcome. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Keep that in mind. Make that association. Waters are people, nations, multitudes, and languages. Real, honest languages. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot 
make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire, because God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose to be of one mind. When they get to one mind, they're going to turn on the woman. Ecclesiastical Babylon. Why does that fit together? And give their kingdom to the beast. Until, until... The words of God are fulfilled, and the woman which you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay? The angel of the seven bowls. Which bowl? We'll have to decide that eventually. Is straightforward. He tells John the mystery of the woman, the harlot, and the scarlet beast. After the, after the beast was, is not, yet is, will ascend and go to perdition, the angel shifts now. Here is the mind which has wisdom. And that's a similar pattern I hope you recognize to Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who, underst- who has understanding. Another understanding wisdom test. So first test I gave you is you've got to know all this stuff. Seven heads, seven mountains, all these five kings. The ten kings. Ten horns. Harlot. Multitudes. Nations. Here's another one. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. So we just learned something about the beast. He is a man. And he has this 666 attached to him. What is the meaning of 666? His number is 666. Obviously, I think it's necessary to combine the 666 with the wisdom of the seven heads and seven mountains and ten kings. I think the 666 is a key piece here. And and wisdom, therefore, is the ability to solve the seven heads and the ten horns, which is Daniel chapter 7, which hopefully you remember from uh, last week or the week before. That is the Ancient of Days, judging all men, Rosh Hashanah, the little horn, positioned together. So I have the Ancient of Days and the little horn. I have the Christ and the Antichrist in Daniel 7, and I have the seven horns, or seven heads and ten horns there as well. Daniel 7 is this mystery uh, in the Old Testament. It's the complement to Revelation 17 and 13. Uh, that God calls his mysteries hiddenness or hidden truths. So Daniel 7 is this hidden truth. The mind that has wisdom is able to understand the beast is the eighth and is also of the seven. Those who are wise will know why the kings are of one mind and why the great harlot is hated and burned with fire. Everybody that has wisdom will know which city is this woman. They'll know why she is the great Babylon or the whore of Babylon. Revelation 17, again, it's a test. It tells you your wisdom status, your wisdom score. If you are not wise, if you don't know any of this, what are you? Oh, my goodness. My pen went all the way downstairs. Bill did not throw it back to me because he knew he hit me in the mouth with it again. Because I wouldn't see it. What is not wisdom? If this is wisdom, what's not wisdom? The mind that has wisdom is immediately subsequent to those who marvel 
at the scarlet beasts that dwell on the earth. So there's a difference between these two groups. Verse 8 describes, identifies those who will worship the Antichrist. Verse 9 describes and identifies those who have wisdom. The positioning is obviously intentional. The marvelers and the wise. Which one are we? Are we going to be marvelers? Are we going to be wise? These are those that dwell on the earth. Where are we, by the way? Cost me another piece of chicken right there. Where are we? Are we on the earth? Well, we'll discuss that. The wise would know. The wise would know that. (coughs) The marvelers and the wise. Those with the lamb who are called faithful and true as opposed to those with the beast whose names are not written in the lamb's book of life. Jesus Christ is called the lamb of God. Why? That's a reference to Genesis 22.7. There's a question in Genesis 22.7. It's Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain and Isaac to the exact place that Christ made sure that his crucifixion was. They go to the same mountain, to the same spot. It's all the same. And Abraham has Isaac and he tells him there's going to be a sacrifice there. And Isaac asks that incredible question. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answers, God will provide himself as the lamb. The lamb is the Lord of lords, king of kings. That's Deuteronomy 10.17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God. So the lamb is the great God of creation, the creator of all things. Let's go back. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Great God. Deuteronomy 10.17 Why does He overcome them? He's the Great God. They are fighting the Great God of creation. The Lamb is the Great God, the Great Creator of all things. So note the contrast. The Lamb and the Beast. One comes as a lamb, the other comes as the beast. Everyone says, looking at the lamb and the beast, ooh, the beast is going to win. The wise don't think that. Everybody goes, yay, beast. Look at the beast. The beast, wow, look how powerful the beast looks. That's the marvelers. They're jumping up and down. Certain the beast is going to devour the lamb. Wise are looking at the lamb going, go lamb. They know the lamb is going to overcome the beast. Why is the lamb going to overcome the beast? Because the lamb is the great God. The Lamb is the substitute, the offering, the salvation. The beast, Daniel 7, 7, is the devourer. The choice is always present. Mankind in the tribulation, those who dwell on the earth in the tribulation, will make a decision. They will know the Lamb. They will know the beast. 
will choose the beast. This is a cognitive choice. Can't repeat that enough. No one rejects the life. I'm sorry. No one rejects the lamb without exercising their free will. Those who worship the beast do so with their free will. And they free will repudiate Christ. This is the tribulational period. And they do so based on the signs and wonders of the who? Of the beast. Are there signs and wonders of the lamb at the same time going on? Oh, yeah. Real ones, by the way, not fake ones. The wise do not fall for anything fake. Except today. All day. Every day. Never miss a day. Hopefully there will come a time when we are no longer idiots. I used to say to myself, I'm not easily fooled. I know better now. I am easily fooled. And you know why I'm easily fooled? Because I say to myself, I'm not easily fooled. I finally began to put those two together. Every time I said, I won't be fooled, I was fooled. So now I say, I'm easily fooled. And I get scared. That's helpful. Have a firm understanding of your mucus and dingleberries. We should all carry a little jar around our neck of mucus and dingleberries. And look at it whenever we go to buy a car or a house. Or any somebody calls us on the phone. Wants to sell us, say, a... Uh, Warranty for a car we don't own. Did he know that I didn't own the car? Yes, he did know. I asked him. He said, you knew I don't own this car. Yes, I did know. But you called pretending that I did own the car, or pretending that you didn't know I didn't own the car. We both knew that we both knew that you knew that I didn't own the car. And he started to laugh. He said, yes, that's all true. And I, I said, that's the reason that I asked you about substance dualism. Because I knew that you knew that I knew that we both knew that I didn't own the car. <laughs> and you still thought you could sell me a warranty for a car I didn't own. He, he did say, I wasn't trying to sell you a warranty for that car. I was just using it as a way to get into you and sell you a warranty for a car you might own. I said, I don't own a car. I own a truck. It's worth maybe six or seven thousand. I would like a hundred thousand dollar warranty. I need a motor home. <laughs> I don't need a motor home. I want a motor home. <laughs> so I can wander around and get in more trouble. Where was I? There are real signs and wonders. And the dwell, those who dwell on the earth are aware of the consequences of the choice. They know there's going to be a war. A war between the beast and a war between the lamb. They aren't sure who's going to win. And the Bible just says he's going to overcome them because he's God. That's what it says in 1714. The lamb is God. The lamb is Christ. 
Why do they choose to worship the beast as God? Because that has to be what they're doing. It says it's what they're doing in Revelation 17. Why do they believe uh, that it's possible? What do they believe they're going to gain by this? What do they think? How is the dragon going to kill the lamb? Why do they think the dragon will, in fact, be able to kill the lamb? Revelation 13, 4. What evidence does Satan and the beast give them that they're going to kill the lamb? They've got to give them something. can't be in a vacuum. Somebody's got to go, hey, over here, beastie, how are you so sure you're going to kill the lamb? I mean, you look like a pretty cool beast to me. And you look fantastic, and I think you're, you're killing everybody here. But the lamb might be a little tough. And if I go with you, well, you'll kill me. Whether I, I have to go to, to live physically in the tribulation, you have to worship the beast. You're subject to death. Now, there are some that survive, right? We'll get into that as the weeks go. But they believe a lie of Satan. And as always, whenever I see Satan lies to them, he convinces them that they uh, will be on the side of the winning team, if you will, or the winner. The beast will win. Satan will win. This combination of Satan and the beast will kill Christ the Lamb. And they will think about that. I've often wondered, is this part of the first lie of Satan that God can be killed? I know the first lie of Satan, or I believe the first lie of Satan, if you've ever gone to any of these lectures on this particular subject, is that God is the author of evil, and therefore he cannot judge. But did Satan convince the angelic host? Did Satan convince, does he convince all of mankind in the tribulation that follows him that God can be killed? Why would you fight someone that can't be killed? That's why I have so much trouble with people who say the Romans killed God or the Romans killed Christ in this case, or the Jews killed Christ. You can't kill God. So, while you consider all of that, uh, we've got to get to Daniel chapter 7. And again, I want you to notice all the time pieces. All the pe- it's a clock. Revelation 17, 8 through 17 is a clock. It's a way to tell time. You can look at it and say, what time is it now? Okay, so now there's some fundamental questions that need to be asked whenever prophecy is studied. Why has God done this? Why has he given us this prophecy? Why does John have this information? What's the reason the angel gave it to John who has given it to us? It's a Holy Spirit thing. But what's the purpose of God giving us this prophecy? What's his his intentions? Who is the prophecy for? What's your choices? Who's going to need this prophecy? Are you going to need it? If you have, it's either us or it's Israel, right? The same approach now can be applied to the other mysteries of the Bible. In this case, this is mystery Babylon, the mystery of the great whore, the mystery of the mother of all abominations on the earth, the mystery of the red beast. Why this mystery? Why did he put it in a mystery form? Who needs to solve the mystery? What is the purpose of the mystery? With respect to prophecy... Um, all prophecy by definition is time. So it has something to do with time. Somebody needs to know what time it is. When things will happen. 
Prophecy is evidence, to be more specific, that time is controlled by someone. It is evidence that time is also created. Therefore, someone has created it. Someone can view time concurrently in order to have prophecy. This someone, the creator of time, reveals his authority over time with his prophecies. Why does he do that? Why do you need to know that time is created and that he is outside of it and has authority over it? Again, notice all the time references in prophecy. The beast was. Ask when. The beast is not. When. The beast will ascend and will go to perdition. When. Five have fallen. When. One is. What time is it? How long is a short time? It says they have a short time. They will receive authority for one hour. How long is one hour? Until the words of God are fulfilled. When's that? Obviously, God wills that somebody will be able to determine what time these things will occur. And they will be able to make predictions. Why does he want them to be able to do that? Somebody, some somebodies, will be able to establish the timeline of Revelation 17. And people have already done it as best they can. But then the question, why didn't God make it really obvious? He could have. He could have said... In the, in the year, he could have picked the Jewish calendar or the Roman calendar. He could have told us the day that the, that the whore of Babylon would be destroyed by the Antichrist. He didn't do it. Why not? We could have all had a piece of paper and looked at when it would happen. He could have told us the day that Israel uh, would be reestablished as a nation. He could tell us the day that Ezekiel 38 will happen. But he didn't. Why not? He makes us do what? Figure it out. Why? He didn't make it obvious. He could have. He didn't. Why not? Okay. Quickly. Daniel 7. And then we'll shut it down. I have nine minutes to go. Can we do Daniel 7 in nine minutes? Yes. Yes, we can. Okay. No, we can't. We can't do anything in nine minutes. <laughs> Why? As same approach. Utilize the same approach. I have the vision, the prophecies of four beasts coming here. Ask the same question. Utilize the same approach. Why did God give this to Daniel? Who is it for? Who's this for? Who's, who did Daniel think it was for? Daniel thought it was for who? Real quick answer. Daniel thought it was for Daniel. And by extension, it's for who else? The Jews. If Daniel 7, which is very, very similar, as you're going to find out, to Revelation 17 is for the Jews and Daniel, then what's Revelation 17 for? Jews and Daniel. Seemed logical, wouldn't you say? Daniel 7, 1 through 8. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, this is the second king, by the way, the Daniel... Oh down to one piece of... I get, how many pieces of chicken do I get? In a, three. Zero. Either way, I got nothing. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, 
I have a king of Babylon. Again, Daniel has a tendency to have dreams or be around dreams of kings of Babylon. This is the second time. So obviously, Daniel 2 is going to have to be compared to Daniel 7 in order to figure out Daniel 7 and Daniel 2. Do you have that? In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. I always want to know what did he leave out. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my visions by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Eagle's wings. I watched Philadelphia Eagles. Sorry, wrong hat. I lost my place. And had eagle, eagle's wings. <coughs> eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Boy, a bunch of questions there. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up, in one, up on one side. So it was kind of offset, right? And had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Who are they that said that? After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. So this is important. Just like the four winds are important, now the fourth beast is important because of that behold. Behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had, a, it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking into pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that was before it. So I have different beasts, but this one's different even more. And it had ten horns. There's your ten horns. I was considering the horns. There was another horn, a little one coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. I've raised the man before, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Obviously, that's the Antichrist. Again, Daniel chapter 2 is the Nebuchadnezzar dream. Daniel chapter 7 is the Belshazzar vision in the sense that Daniel has it under Belshazzar. Daniel solved the King Nebuchadnezzar dream. Daniel has a vision dream under the reign of King Belshazzar, two Gentile kings who are ruling over Israel. There's your reason, right? The age of Gentiles has now begun. It began under Nebuchadnezzar, 586 B.C. Important to know. How long will it last? How long will the Gentiles rule over the Jews? That's basically one of the three questions of Matthew 24. The apostles wish to know exactly when the age of the Gentiles would be over. This is when the age of the Gentiles began. Began essentially with Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Belshazzar's dream. Both of those dreams are addressing the age of the Gentiles. When does the Jewish world empire begin? Because the Jews want to know. They have a world empire that's coming. It hasn't come since 586 B.C. for sure. When do the Jews have the world empire? That's when the king of the Jews rules the world. What do we call the king of the Jews? The lamb. The lamb is the king of the Jews. The Messiah. 
So the question for the Jews is, when does our Messiah come? When does the fifth empire come? Ask first, however, why is there even an age of the Gentiles? What caused the age of the Gentiles? Anyway, Daniel has a dream. Three minutes to go. There's four winds. And they're of heaven. So they're heavenly. Four winds of heaven. There are four beasts. That's not an accident. That there would be four winds and four beasts. And these beasts come from the sea. And they are different. What's the sea? Why are they different? How are they different? Why does he call them beasts? First, I got one that looks like a lion. Like a lion. And it's got eagle wings. Why does it have eagle wings? And I watched until the wings were plucked. What's that mean? And it was lifted up and made to stand on two feet, and a man's heart was given to it. There. Okay, let's stop right there because I'm not going to make it. I've got two minutes and 30 seconds to go. For those who want to know what time it is, see what I did there? We begin with the four winds of heaven over the great sea. This is reminiscent of what? I have the four winds of heaven moving over, hovering over, stirring up the great sea. What does that remind you of? I hope Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I think that you see the same symbolism here. It is obvious that God is moving over the great sea. What is the great sea to the prophet Daniel? When he called something the great sea, what was he calling it the great sea? That would be the Mediterranean Sea. That's where Israel was adjoining, right? The great sea was the Mediterranean Sea. In Revelation 17, what did the angel say? The woman sits on the beast over the many waters. What was the many waters? Or what were the waters? Those were the peoples, the languages... The nations, the multitude. So I have a sea here, a great sea, and, and God is hovering over the great sea and He is calling out of the great sea four beasts. One of them is a lion. One of them is a bear. One of them is a leopard. The other one is some weird thing. The lion is first. So the lion would be one that Daniel would know. They're all four different, and they all four come from the same place in the same region. So the, the common opinion is that the sea is the Gentiles, because the question at stake here is how long are we not going to have the Jewish Messiah? So God calls four empires out of the Gentiles, and they rule over Israel mostly, overwhelmingly, until they're still ruling over Israel. Does Israel have control of Jerusalem? The United States, our 
goofy State Department will not call Jerusalem the king or the uh, capital of Israel to this day. The lion, though, is first, and, and I asked again, does Daniel know the lion? I believe he does. The, the lion would be the Babylonians. They seized Israel. Babylon was the first Middle East empire that Daniel knew. God called. He used Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar ends up being a saved man. It's an extraordinary story. Uh, God and Nebuchadnezzar have this wonderful relationship. Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel's God, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's amazing. But Israel is in captivity. So now what do we get to do? We know that the clock starts right here. Now we can tell time. So if we can tell time when the clock started, what can we tell time to? Today. We can figure it out. We're going to start the clock. We're going to start the 70 years of captivity. We're going to have Nehemiah and Cyrus and Artaxerxes. By the way, who was the stepmother of Artaxerxes? Esther. So all of these people come into play, and we will do that next week. Much to do.